Hello everyone, welcome back to the One Talk Podcast, you're here with your host Ryan McCarthy and before we get into today's episode, if you could please share this podcast around, leave it a rating, give the podcast a follow, it'll just help us grow into the charts, it'll help us get into a bigger audience and just reach more people, that would mean a lot. But today we are joined by Joe Legovan. Joe is a mindset and fitness coach. He's also a multi-millionaire real estate investor. And he's also got a background working as a counselor for over 10 years. And on today's episode, we touch on so much around spirituality, mindset, mental health, physical training, nutrition, um, how to break down motivation, discipline, how to build self-love, how to build values and beliefs. There is so much value within today's episode. It makes it an absolute gem of a listen. If you listened to Marlon Joe's first podcast we did together, you'd understand how serious value is in this episode. And that's why I'm so keen for the whole world to hear this. I'm so keen for you to enjoy this episode. So enjoy today's episode. Please leave us a rating and share the podcast around. Bless welcome, Joe. Welcome, Joe Legovan. How are you, brother? Good. How are you? Happy to be on, man. Yeah, I'm good too, man. It's good to have you back. Our last episode that we did together absolutely went crazy with the audience and it went viral over the clip. So it was really cool to be able to link up the first time, bring that conversation together, bring that value together, put out into the world, but now create a bond where we're doing another podcast, but also it feels like I've gained a friend as well over this. So it's been an epic journey so far. 100%. 100%. I feel the same way, man. And I think our our mentality is very similar because I think what's good about you is you tend to balance the spirituality and the mental health along with, you know, the experience of being a human and, and materialism in a sense, right? Because I think sometimes people go so far down one spectrum where they're like so spiritual that they don't want any aspect of the world they just want to live in a cave somewhere and to me i think we're here for all of life we're here to experience every aspect of life material spiritual mental you know on on all levels and so i love that about you and i think that's why we vibe together is you know i look at your content and what you do and what you experience in life and you're out traveling you're doing things you're seeing things um and yet you're very deeply uh, in tune with spirit and deeply in tune with with your purpose and i think that's a cool balance to have in life you know mm, and likewise of yourself because i can see you're on a trip as well but also balancing that with your uh, fitness training that you do but also balance that with your spirituality also balance that with your family life too and it's really cool to see you embody all aspects of life and bring it into one so you can live a true life that's authentic to you because like you said so many people can get lost going too far mm. in one area in life, whether it's going too far with fitness, too far with spirituality, too far right. with um, whatever it may be. And you can kind of get lost if you go too deep on one place because you start to strip away who you actually are. And it's really oh, good yeah. to be able to find that, I would say, balance in between them all and just try and live every day as you can to be your authentic self. So true, man. So true. Absolutely. Mm. And what... What was that moment for you, do you reckon, like when you first started to know that these all came together? Because I know from our last episode, you said that you went on a really long spiritual journey for a while, then you had to bring it back. Could you talk to us a bit more about that? Because I'm keen to hear it. Yeah, no, for sure. I feel like I've I've experienced multiple lives and I think most of us have, you know, like, but I know when I was younger, I was really into partying. I was really into, I guess you'd call it like... I don't know if womanizing is the right word, but just fraternizing a lot, you know, having fun, all that type of stuff. 
uh, drinking, doing drugs. And then I kind of spiraled and all that. And I got really deep into those type of worlds and all of my friends, that's basically what they were into. And so I just kind of surrounded myself with kind of a dark, dark energy. Um, and it was fun for what it was, you know, and that was an experience for me. And I also started a company at that time. I was like 18, 19 and I tried, you know, and, and I kind of went after money. And so I went extremely materialistic, extremely pleasure seeking based. Right. Mm -hmm. And I did that for several years. And at the end of it, I was very empty and I felt just off my path. You know what I mean? And I felt like if I had died at that moment, I felt like my life was um, incomplete in a lot of ways. Like I, I definitely felt like there was aspects of my life that were neglected. There was areas of my life that were not developed. And so I kind of knew what that was like. So what I did was me being me, I go all in on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And I link up with um, the ISKCON, which is like the, oh God, they're like a, a, an extremely devout Hindu sect. Um, and and most people know them as the Hare Krishnas. And they're very, very intense very devoted and they have a bad rap for, you know, because they push their stuff, but they're actually, if you meet the, the guys that are in it, they are some of the most devoted spiritual people you've ever met because their entire life is meditation. Their entire life is reading the Srimad Bhagavatam, all these different mm -hmm. Hindu, Hindu texts that are 5,000 years old. And so I spent about five, six years doing nothing but that. Um, and that was complete opposite. I mean, they're extremely austere. You don't think about women. You're not drinking. You're not using it. You don't even use caffeine. You know what I mean? So it was the complete opposite of how I was living. And what was good about that was I experienced a deep spiritual bliss through that. I experienced who I was. I experienced what it felt like to connect with, with God or connect with my soul. And it was amazing. I mean, it was higher than any high I've ever experienced, right? But there was a moment in that life where, and it was towards the end when I remember thinking, is this all there is? Why am I even a human if I'm just experiencing the spiritual nature and I'm completely, I was basically like floating through life. Like I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't creating anything. I wasn't, I didn't have any aspirations. I wasn't really taking care of my body. And so at that moment, I realized that this wasn't my path either. And then I now I'm kind of in the world where I try to incorporate both, right? So I've got my businesses, I've got my physical fitness, I've got my relationships, I've got my friends, I've got the fun things I like to do. I like to have fun and let loose and get good food from time to time and travel and have good experiences. I'm in the cars, I'm into whatever, watch movies, enjoy my life. But I also have a deep spiritual connection and I try to integrate that into my life and try to stay on purpose and know that at the end of the day, the most important thing is connecting to love, living from love, living in the stream of love, you know, whatever that looks like for all of us, because we all have a unique uh, purpose here. But that's kind of where I'm at now is kind of integrating both aspects of my life. Um, and that's that's basically my journey of, of where I'm at now. And I'm, I'm constantly struggling, you know, in between those two worlds. Um, I don't I certainly don't have it all figured out. I, I struggle every day. But uh, I do have, um, I think, the experience of both worlds. So I know when I'm getting too far into one and neglecting the other um, that I need to to kind of tweak it a little bit and get that balance back. Mm. It sounds like before, and I've definitely experienced this myself, where you're trying to find love externally, 
but it feels like you weren't in the path of internalizing that love. So then you can authentically, authentically express that externally as well. So you found it within yourself. So you could actually express that in its true nature. Yeah. And what, what in your path, like what kind of directed you into that? Like as far as looking for it externally and then, you know, I think because growing up with a lot of neglect growing up in like moving to a foreign country because I'm from England, I moved to Australia and then growing oh. up with not much family around me physically because they're all on the other side of the world and then the family break up. So I think growing up, I was so confused on what love actually was and what it actually meant. So I always mm. seek love in the wrong environments and that's when I became a drug addict when I was from the age of 11 till 18. And I went down that wow. path, but it was all for a search of love at the end of the day because I was trying to find that mm. connection to rather a substance or something or a group of people. And then when I mm. become sober, I got in a relationship and I didn't know how to love someone else because I never knew how to love myself. And that relationship mm. wasn't great at all. And mm. that's where my perspective was at that time with love like i was just lost until i started going more down the spirituality journey and connecting with myself and i started to go to like breath work events meditation events i started going to retreats and from there i actually started to peel back layers in my mind and actually started connecting to my heart and i actually found my true self my true authentic self through that experience and i was able to rip all my mask off and then begin that journey of self-love and within like the last four years the journey has been from not knowing who I am or how to even love myself or other people to then completely flipping that script the other way. But I was like yourself to a point as well, where I went too far in that spiritual realm where I just became mm. super zen out, super relaxed. I lost my drive. I lost, I would say even lost my masculinity. I became very, sure. I became very just so present in the moment that I had no goals. And I have to strip that yeah. back. I'm like, no, I need to get drive back in my life. I need to find things that are going to keep pushing me, that mission and purpose. And then once I align my mission and purpose, that drive, that masculine energy with my feminine more connecting to myself, once I learned how to balance those two, my life has been a lot better. But like you said, it's always a journey of not going too far on the one, but then being able to consciously become aware of when you are going too far and then bringing it back. And then <laughs> it's like a constant tug of war. It's interesting. And and wouldn't life be easier if it was just black or white, right? Like it yeah. was just like, do this, don't do this and everything will work out, right? But that's not the way life works, right? It's that, mm -hmm. that constant tug and pull and and we have to be alert during life. That's the thing. We can't just like, that's why I think people love religion is because it just tells you what to do and you don't even have to be alert anymore. Right. Like, mm. or like, I remember there was a quote, I, I forget who said it, it might've been Freud or something, but he said something to the effect of there was no happier people than the Germans under Hitler. And, mm. uh, and why he said that was because they had no existential crises. They just were told what to do. And when you're told what to do every day, you don't have to think about what to do. But in life, we have to be dynamic. We have to go, oh, in this situation, I have to be more spiritual. In this situation, I have to be more material. In this situation, I have to have masculine drive. In this situation, I got to have some passivity. So it's it's being alert, being aware. And it's really easy to just check out and say, I'm all spiritual or I'm all masculine, right? I'm all alpha male, freaking, you know, whatever. And I know all the answers all the time, you know, but either way, you're, you're lost. And so it's, it's being dynamic, it's being open to change. And yeah, I think we're both on that journey. That's probably why we, we connect so well. 
Yeah, definitely. And like, especially every single day is different and we grow as time goes as well. So like what we feel in the moment, we're still growing as we go through life as well. So it's not getting stuck in who you are, even though now you may feel you're becoming into your potential, but it's like, you still need to keep evolving as you grow in over life too. And I like how you said you got to stay alert during life. I think that's a key little phrase you said there, because it's so true being alert. And I guess you could say conscious as well to the decisions that we're making. Because we got to right. understand like what the outcomes are of what we're doing too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Being alert, being aware, being, being, you know, being aware of what's going on and what, what the situation calls for. And it, it's just like the Eckhart Tolle thing when that came out and everybody's like live in the moment, which is an awesome teaching and I love it. Right. But you also got to bounce between the the past and the future, right? Like, and, and there's, there's people who live their entire life in the past and they're depressed because they feel like the best years are behind them or whatever. And there's people who live entirely in the future and they miss everything, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I get in that mode sometimes where I'm so busy creating the future. I need to just sit down and watch my kid walk across the floor, right? And enjoy that moment, right? So it's, it's balancing all three. But if somebody says, Oh, you just got to live in the moment. That's not the way to live because that's only one aspect, right? That's a third of how we could live. Or somebody's like, just live in the future. That's also not it, right? So, uh, or people are like, just learn from your past. You know, that's not it either. You've got to do all three and you've got to be dynamic and also do all three. You got to go, okay, I'm going to think about my past because this taught me this lesson today. And, and then in this moment, I'm going to live in the moment because this is a beautiful moment and I want to think about it. And I'm also going to create the future because if I don't consciously create it, I'm just going to be drifting through life. And so being able to to juggle all three of those, which, you know, life calls for us to be dynamic. It doesn't let us have get off with a oh, live in the moment. You know what I mean? That's the cheap way out or or live in the future. Right. Like the the create your goals, blah, blah, blah. It's, that's the, that's the easy way out. It's it's all of the above. And and to really live life to the degree we can and to to our potential it requires us to step it up on all of those levels you know because mm. like if you let's just say with fitness and physical training for an example if you have a goal that you want to get to a certain body weight but then in the moment you tell yourself i don't want to go it's like is your present moment feeling aligning with your long-term goal and how can you balance that out to make sure you're still going to get the results that you want but also make sure you're still nourishing your body in the present moment as well. How would you right. usually differentiate those two if you had a day where you didn't want to go to the gym, you didn't want to train, but you know your long-term goal is to get that result? Well, and I think it, it, it comes down to future projection, being able to project how you're going to feel in the future. And they've actually done studies on this where criminals, they have a very low capacity to future project. And they've even studied their brain to see and basically what the study said was as um, a person like a criminal, as they view themselves in the future, they actually view themselves as a different person. So it's almost like if I viewed something that would happen in some random guy who walked across the street's life, like I'm not going to care that much, right? Because that's not me. That's how the criminal thinks of his future self. Mm-hmm. Think about that for a second. That's how the criminal thinks of his future self, just the same way that he would watch a guy walk down the street, which is why criminals are notoriously make horrible decisions for their future is because they don't picture themselves in the future, how they will feel about this. So when it comes to fitness or it comes to some goal you're having, 
yeah, right now this may be painful. And right now in the moment, you may not want to do it, but think about the joy your future self's going to have, or think about the pain your future self's going to have if it doesn't achieve certain goals, if it doesn't get underweight or whatever, if you're majorly overweight or you're pre-diabetic or you got some metabolic issue, think about how that's going to feel in 10 years, right? And if you can project into that future self, yeah, the pain may be here, but you got to rate the pain, right? You got to say, okay, because we're pain avoidant creatures. Maybe the level of pain to going to the gym today is a three, but me having diabetes in the future is a 10, right? So which one are you going to choose? And you got to make that decision consciously and be aware of that. So that's that's kind of how I would look at it is get really good at projecting how you're going to feel in the future about the decisions you make today. Hmm. That's epic. And that aligns with something that I see you're passionate about too, is the whole discipline motivation scene. Because people think you have to get motivated or disciplined to be able to go and achieve X then you strip that layer back and it's what you say it's self-love yeah absolutely absolutely and that's the thing i think is missing from the motivation space is and the reason is because they're almost the antithesis of each other right because mm. you get on one end of the spectrum and again it's always the middle path right the buddha was right <laughs> when he said that it's you get on one end of the spectrum and you get the guys who are like you know drive work hard you know, comfort is your enemy, blah, blah, blah. And then you get the other end of the spectrum where it's just like the body acceptance, accept yourself, just live in the moment, enjoy that cake, you know, you deserve it. Enjoy that, you know, glass of wine, you know, you go out and and treat yourself. If you ever watch, uh, what was that, Parks and Rec, treat yourself, girl, you know, and they'd go out and have treat yourself days and stuff. And, you know, which one is right? Well, both are right, right? In the right circumstance. And so having that balance, I think is so key, but the thing that is missing from the motivation space is the reason why we create positive circumstances for ourselves, which is all motivation is doing, right? Like if you, if you want to have a positive circumstance in the future, say you want to get ripped or say you want to get rich or say you want to have a nice house or you want a nice family or you want a nice relationship, you have to work for it, right? And that work is motivated, you know, it takes motivation to do that. But what are you doing that for? Because you love yourself and you love your future self. And if you don't love your future self, what are you going to create for yourself? You're going to create negative circumstances for yourself. And so I've spent about 10 years, I mentored guys in the jail and I would, I was a spiritual mentor in the Denver jail where I'm at uh, down in Colorado. And I dealt with murderers, rapists, all these different people. And when I first got in there, I remember people saying, oh, man, you're going to run into the most evil people. It's going to be so intense. What I realized was I didn't run into sociopaths or evil people or like people we picture like Hitler, you know, these like murders. What I ran into was a punch of people who hated themselves. They literally hated themselves and therefore they created negative circumstances for themselves. And what did I see in my own life? Hey, I, I, there's areas of my life that I hate. There's areas of myself that I hate. And what am I doing about those? I'm creating negative circumstances for myself to experience in order to punish myself. Right. So it's not about motivation. It's about finding your self love and finding that awareness of self love. Because when you love yourself, you're going to create motivation for yourself because you're going to create positivity for yourself. Nobody's going to have to be screaming in your ear, go work out, go eat right, uh, work hard on your goals because you're like, shit, of course I'm going to, because I love myself. Why wouldn't I do these things to reward myself? Like, I love the feeling of having a nice body. I love the feeling of working out. I love the feeling of eating right. I love the feeling of making money. I love the feeling of having good relationships. 
And because I love myself, I've got motivation in all those areas, right? And so if I hate myself and I start realizing I'm hating myself, I'll start fucking those things up. And I've done it in my own life and I've done it before. And I've got to watch myself to make sure I don't do it again. So it's a constant, you know, being aware of that. Um, but yeah, you brought up a great point there. And I think the motivation space really needs to dive into why we're motivated and how to stay motivated. Because when I was mentoring those inmates, when they were able to change their minds about themselves and realize, hey, I'm worthy of self-love. I'm worthy of being loved. Yeah, I messed up. Yeah, I did terrible things. But hey, guess what? I can forgive myself. I can move on. And a lot of that was done with spirituality, you know, having an eternal vision, having the idea of a creator who's forgiving, you know, those type of ideas are very beneficial for that type of mindset. And once you're able to accept those things, all of their self-sabotage started going away. All of the negative things that they were doing to themselves started going away and more positive habits started suing just based on that. Not because somebody was screaming in the air, but because they love themselves. Mm. I mean, did you find that people in that space you worked in when you worked in the jail, do you feel like they had a piece of them that found the hard to surrender to love themselves? I did. And I think a lot of that came through, you know, it's, it's not natural, right? It's, yeah. it's very unnatural. And I think it's, it's so intrinsic in people. And even when I was young, I don't know if you remember this, but even when I was like three or four, some of my earliest memories we're just very insecure, right? We don't know where we belong. I remember getting yelled at in like preschool. And I remember just being like traumatized by it because my teacher yelled at me and I was like, so sad, you know, and I was just like, oh, I'm such a piece of shit, you know, and whatever. Right. And so this inherent guilt is kind of part of our psyche. And I don't know where it comes from, if it's part of our history, if it's part of, you know, just survival, if it's, you know, some, some form of hypergamy of us surviving. I don't know where it comes from, but it, we have it inherent. And so for us to overcome that self-hatred, um, I think it's a huge, huge aspect. And so, yeah, there's a lot of guys who were, who struggled with that, but that's what we would try to connect with. That's what we really try to work on because a lot of it comes down to questioning your own thoughts, right? If you're thinking negatively about yourself, you got to have enough awareness to say, maybe that's not true. Maybe I'm not such a piece of shit. Maybe, yeah, I screwed up here, but maybe it, that doesn't mean I'm a horrible person. Yeah, maybe my actions were wrong, but that doesn't make me wrong. That doesn't make who I am wrong. That doesn't make my soul, you know, wrong, right? It makes my actions wrong and we can, we can learn from that. We don't have to deny that and pretend like everything's hunky-dory, but that doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change your eternal self. That doesn't change that you're still a piece of God or however you want to put it. You're still a piece of oneness. And that will always be the case. Mm. And staying consistent with asking yourself those questions and analyzing the thoughts that you have to, because when you first start the journey of self-love or growth or whatever it may be in terms of becoming better, at the first point of it, it can make you feel like this isn't working, what's the point? But if you stick mm. with it over a long enough period of time, you're going to start getting curious. You're going to start believing it. It's going to get more programmed to your subconscious mind. Because at the start, there will be a lot of resistance, but resistance mm. can only last so long that before acceptance comes into play. And it's like stay consistent with these things that are going to benefit you in the future, especially when it comes to self-love. Because how can I want to go to the gym and get myself motivated if I look at myself and I hate myself? Like how mm. does that motivate me to become better when I don't even love the person that wants to become better so it's like right. find that self-love and then once i love myself like going to the gym or eat staying in the calorie deficit is not gonna nothing's gonna stop me from achieving that goal because at the end of the day i'm doing it for me 
And I think a lot of right. people can feel like that with their partners in life or their family members to do absolutely anything for their family members, do absolutely anything mm-hmm. for their wife or husband. But when it comes to themselves, to come and fall short. It's like, you've got to yeah. find that love that you have for other people and push that back into you. Because can you imagine if you were, are willing to do absolutely anything in the world for the people you love? Can you imagine if you had that same energy for yourself and what growth would come from that? Oof. And 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 also on top of that, how much more you can help those people because of the energy you gave to yourself, you know? That's, that's just it. Like, you look at some of the people with the deepest sense of self. Like, look at a Tony Robbins, right? He has got so much self-love. And it is spilled over to literally help millions of people. Right. And, and so it's like, if, if you're just pouring into people around you without accepting the love yourself, it's going to be limited. It's going to be ego driven. It's going to be very, you know, um, it's, it's going to be a limited supply of love, right? It's going to be this, but if you tap into the unlimited supply of love, that's when you're just effortlessly giving it away. You know, you're effortlessly sending that out to other people. And so what what are some of the practices you do that kind of help you on that journey? Um, when it comes to self-love, I believe affirmations is a big one. And it's not affirmations that I say out loud. I listen to guided affirmations on uh, YouTube as well. So that's one part of it. I have a couple of parts to help me with self-love. But one of them is affirmations, just that reassurance to the subconscious mind just to keep those thoughts and that acceptance going. But another yeah. part of it is actually showing up for myself. And I think that's the biggest part is having that action, mm-hmm. that action piece mm-hmm. of actually showing up and proving to myself why I should love myself. Like how you would prove to someone else you love them. Like for an example, if anyone is listening and relates to this, if you've ever felt to break up with someone and you really want to show how much you love them to keep them to stay, I feel like I do a lot of that with myself to make sure that I'm always proving to myself how much I love myself. And it's not to a point where I'm draining myself. It's not to a point where I'm taking it too far and using too much energy, but it's enough to remind myself that I do love myself and it's, it's a motivator to keep going. Now, what, what, give me an example of that. Like when you're saying like to break up with somebody or something, like what, what exactly do you mean by that? Cause that's, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. So like, let's just say you got to, you break it up with someone and you want to win them back. You want to show them that you love them. So an example, you might write them a big letter saying how much you love them. You don't want to lose. Mm-hmm. You're willing to do this for them. You're willing to do that for them. But why not do that for yourself as well? Write that big letter to yourself mm-hmm. and say, I can do this for myself. This is why I love myself. I love all wow. these little pieces about myself. So everything you do to win other people back, you should do that to yourself and prove to yourself That's why awesome. you love yourself. Yeah, dude, I love that. That is super. Because yeah, what would you you know you bake them a meal or you do you know give them a massage or you go you know uh, do something kind for them or give them Take their them favorite their favorite place or yeah right. And why not do that to yourself? And that's one thing my coach has said. He goes, your subconscious mind will never allow you to love yourself more than your actions. Meaning, like your subconscious mind knows if you love yourself based on your actions. So, you know, he's like, you can, you can tell yourself, Oh, I love myself, whatever. But if your actions are not in alignment with that, if you're treating yourself like crap, if you're uh, not taking care of yourself, if you're not following through on your goals, if you're not following through on your mission uh, or the things that you know, you should do, even though you can pretend to love yourself, it's your subconscious mind's going to know what's bullshit. And so to be able to look at that and say, okay, you know, this my actions today, because I worked out, because I put in the work, because I took care of the things I knew I should take care of at the best of my ability, 
that shows to myself that I am worthy of love, right? Just like if we're in a relationship with somebody and we tell them we love them, but we treat them like shit, you know, that person's eventually going to be like, you don't love me. You just say it. It's just word. You know what I mean? But if you show them every day, and then on top of that, you tell them that person is going to really know that they're, they're loved. And so the same thing we need to do with ourselves. But that's a really interesting way of looking at it because I never thought of the whole relationship analogy there, but I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Mm, I'd like to ask you, what's it for you too? Like what's some of the things you do to help with self-love? Yeah. No, for sure. And I think it's it's similar, you know, like the action items, of course, I can relate to that. Um, and also setting up things that I want in life, right? Like for me... I've got certain desires and certain aspirations, right? And, you know, some of them are certain types of houses in certain areas where I want, you know, this type of view or I want this type of situation in my life. And for me, it's setting out the goals and the aspirations to do that. It gives me the idea that, hey, I'm worth it, right? Like, and who knows if I'll obtain these things. I mean, I've got some pretty lofty goals. But for me to know that I'm setting out on that goal every day to try to achieve that, it'd be the same way like if you're winning somebody's love. Like say you've got some um, beautiful girl that you want to just give the world to. And so you're going to work really hard for her. You're going to have this feeling that uh, that shows to her how much you love her, right? Like because every day you wake up and you're working for this girl and every day you're waking up and you're thinking about her and you're, you're, you're doing all these things for her. Well, if you're doing that for yourself and you've got goals and you've got aspirations and every day you wake up and work on them, you're going to know that you love yourself, right? And so for me, it's goals, it's visualization, and it's working towards those goals every day. If I stop working towards them, my subconscious mind knows it, and then I'll start feeling less self-love. The other thing, which is a huge thing, which I'd recommend everybody look into, is uh, A Course in Miracles. Have, have you ever heard of that teaching no, at all? No, no. Okay, so it was written by a um, psychiatrist, I believe. I always get psychologists and psychiatrists, but she was a psychiatrist at Berkeley. And um, basically, she had studied the mind, studied the brain for years and years. She was a top professor, and her and her husband were both professors, and yet they were still struggling mentally. They had tons of emotional problems. They had a terrible relationship. And she's like, I'm the, I'm the elite. Like, how do I not know this? I know so much about psychology. I know so much about it. And so basically she just sat down and started writing and they wrote out this couple thousand page book um, called A Course in Miracles. And it's one of those books that it's holographic in nature. And what do they mean by that? It's you don't have to read the whole thing to get everything. You can read two sentences. And if you understand those two sentences, you'll get the entire book because it literally just repeats itself over and over in different ways. It uses very deep verbiage and very deep words. And, um, you know, all the things are are very intellectually stimulating and stuff as you're reading it. It's almost hard to comprehend. But when you, you understand the meaning, it's very simple. And the meaning is this, that we hold on to guilt. And by removing guilt, we remove the blocks to love's awareness. So their whole idea is that you don't have to go out to find love you don't have to go out to like seek love or 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 earn love, right? Like a lot of us want to earn love for maybe God will love us or maybe other people will love us or maybe, you know, whatever. All we have to do is remove the blocks. And the biggest block to love's awareness is our own hidden guilt. We have this subconscious guilt where we hate ourselves. We hate, you know, parts of ourselves. And as we're able to accept ourselves, able to forgive ourselves, which also includes forgiving other people, right? 
As we're able to do these things, the blocks to love's awareness disappear. Love flows in automatically. And then we're at complete peace. And then we live in heaven, even on earth, right? Because the, the one of the big caveats they say is the guiltless mind cannot suffer, which is a very, it doesn't say you won't have pain. But it does say the guiltless mind will not suffer. And so, you know, life can be painful. Things can happen. But the suffering is kind of a choice, right? That's that's like the um, the Buddhist idea of, you know, the, the Four Noble Truths, where one of them was the cessation of suffering is possible. The idea that the Buddha realized that suffering, the end of suffering is possible because a lot of our suffering is psychological, right? Like we can we can have you know, physical ailments, we can have people die, we can have all these different things happen in our life. But the way we view those and the way we process that psychologically can be very less suffering, if we understand the truth, if we are in alignment, right. And the smallest thing, like somebody cutting us off on the road can lead us into a spiral of depression if we're in the wrong state, right. So externally, it doesn't matter the stimulus that is causing us the pain, but how we interpret it is the biggest thing. So there are people who are amazing interpreters. They can have their entire life wrecked from them and they're still at peace, right? And we hear those stories and we're like, how is that possible? You know, I got mad because I had to sit in the line at the grocery store for 20 minutes, you know? Like, how is this guy, this guy's whole world got rocked and he's still at peace. Like, and it's fascinating to us. Well, why? Because that guy has a very beneficial way of processing suffering. And a lot of that comes down to how we view ourselves, how we feel connected to the love, how we feel connected to the oneness, to our source, all these different things. And how many of those blocks have we removed through our forgiveness of ourselves and of others? And so that's a huge lesson for me. That's one that I do a lot. And I'd always recommend people to look at it because it's not a, it's not a religious text. It's purely psychological. You can be any religion you want read that text and it doesn't tell you what to do. It doesn't tell you how to live. It doesn't tell you to join a cult. It just tells you how to think and think a little bit differently when you are going into a suffering state. So I would recommend that. That's That's been a big benefit in my life and my own personal psychological, um, you know, struggles and things that I go through as well. Mm, thank you for sharing that. I love how you touched on guilt and the impact it can have rather in the present moment or in the future because we hold on to guilt, right? And mm. With myself, the way I found how to overcome guilt was through Eckhart Tolle's teachings, actually, and it was mm. from the power of now. So being able to detach thoughts from emotions by observing and watching them like a movie. So once I started to practice, for the people that don't know, what I do is uh, when I meditate, I picture myself sitting back and watching my thoughts like a movie and not dictating what thoughts to come, not trying to get any thoughts to leave. Let every thought be, accept them, watch them, observe them, and let them pass. And by training mm. my mind to do that, I've really been able to, when something stressful or anything attached to guilt happens in my life, very quickly I'm able to detach from the situation emotionally and able to observe and analyze and trying to think out of the box to get myself out of the situation or rather to get the best out of the situation. So what was it for yourself? Like how did you train yourself to be able to cope and overcome guilt? Well, that's that's a super powerful teaching there that you just spoke on. And I, I definitely can relate. I think that helps to just be able to observe and, and it's an ongoing journey, right? It's an ongoing thing. It's one of those things where you know, we can intellectually understand these things, right? That guilt is the problem that we need to connect to self-love. We can all intellectually understand this, but if we're not practicing something, 
It's not going to really settle in. And for me, that practice comes down to forgiveness. It comes down to, you know, um, when those, those thoughts come up is kind of looking at them, like you said, in almost a detached manner. Um, and what's fascinating about this, and this again goes back to that middle path and being dynamic and being aware in this world is if you ever studied NLP, they talk a lot about that, where you, if you go through a traumatic event and you are highly associated in that event, right? Like say you were raped or say something terrible happened to you, right? Like in my situation, one of the things that was terrible that happened to me was my mom called me up and told me that my sister killed herself. And I still remember that moment. I still remember how it felt. I still remember grabbing the phone. It was intense, right? And if I'm highly associated with that, it's going to bring up all these negative feelings, all these negative emotions, right? But if I can watch myself going through that event from a space away, I can go through that in a less traumatic way, right? But here's the caveat. You can also disassociate from life to such a degree that you don't experience positive things either. Mm. And what they found in NLP is that when people were highly depressed, they were very good at associating with negative circumstances and very good at disassociating from positive circumstances. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like? That would look like you're having a birthday party and you're watching yourself having this birthday party. And then you, somebody robs you on the street and you're right there experiencing the robbery and how it felt and how all this type of stuff. So the play is, is disassociating from the events that are traumatic from us, looking at them from, and and disassociating may not be the right word, but I would say taking a spiritual standpoint on that, looking at it from the eternal lens, right? Looking at it like, hey, I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. And part of this human experience was watching my sister kill herself, right? That was part of that experience, right? For me. So as I look at that from a, a spiritual experience, it's a lot different experience, right? I'm like, okay, yeah, she she checked herself out. She's an eternal being. She had her experience here for whatever reason she was done. And I got to be okay with that, right? And from that spiritual perspective, it's a lot easier to deal with. Then when I'm down here and something cool is happening, I want to be in the moment. I want to feel that. I want to feel everything about that. We were just in Aruba at our condo. We, we bought a condo, my wife and I, and uh, we go down there and we go to Eagle Beach, which is one of the top, most beautiful beaches in the world. And we're there with my kiddo and I'm feeling the water and he's playing and the sun is warm and I'm seeing my wife and she looks amazing right now. She just lost a bunch of weight. So she looks all hot, blah, blah. And like, I'm in this moment and I'm just feeling it and it feels fucking amazing. You know what I mean? So being able to do that, to associate in the good times and then in the traumatic times, being able to take that step back, because if we are always in that step back stage of kind of like spiritual awareness, we're not going to be able to enjoy the moment, you know, and really associate with those positive experiences. And if we're always in it, we're going to be just pushed to and fro in these traumatic events, and we're going to be traumatized throughout our life, you know. So, again, it's being able to play with those mm. those kind of awareness. So I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you brought that extension to it too. That's so true. If you take it too far, you end up becoming the passenger of your own life. Because right. if you detach too much, then you're not going to be driving anywhere in life. You're going to be sitting in the passenger seat. Then you'll fall back into what we touched on earlier, how people fit into certain groups. And like I said with the Nazis, how they just fell into under Hitler and just subconsciously right. went along with it. So if you detach too much, you're not going to live a purposeful, fulfilled life. But if you attach too much to it, you're going to be in too much pain and chaos and stress. That's going to burn you out. So it's just find that middle ground of the both. 
Oh, so true. And I, I think that's why I have problem relating to most people because most people are in one or the other. Like when I go to spiritual groups, I meet people who are very spiritual, but they're so detached that I feel like when I tell them an amazing story of like, oh, I hit this, you know, my, I stepped on the car and it went from zero to 60 in this moment. They're like, you know, they're too out there to, to know that that was like a cool experience. And then sometimes if I'm associating with purely materialistic people and i'm telling them like hey it's okay it's it's you know we're eternal beings we're just having a temporary experience like you know what i mean whatever like they're not able to comprehend that so it's very rare to find people who are able to comprehend both and i think again that's why we align you know there's very few people who i think understand that and and try to integrate that in their life and to me it's it's the teaching of the buddha that's what he was trying to convey it's it's all the great teachers they're like, hey, life is amazing. Life is here for a purpose. It's here for a reason. Enjoy it. Experience it. Live it. Live in a body. Enjoy your body. And yet, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget where you're going to go after this because you return back to love. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, you return back to oneness. You return back to God, whatever you want to say. But enjoy the ride now. You know, Don't forget this is a ride. You're here for a reason. And this is a gift. This life is a gift. So enjoy it. You know? Mm. Do you think loving yourself aligns with finding yourself as well? Because in order to love ourselves, we have to truly identify what our authentic version of ourselves is. Dude, what a great point. And yes, absolutely. Because I think that comes down to our identity, right? Like if you don't know who you are, how can you love yourself, right? Because there's no self to love, right? And I think, again, it comes back to having a spiritual perspective and again, it sounds kind of woo-woo, right? To think like, oh, you know, spiritual perspective, what does that mean? Well, all it means is energy is never created or destroyed. We know that scientifically. That's not even woo-woo. This is just the laws of thermodynamics. So what makes up our body is never created nor destroyed. What makes up the self that we call ourself is eternal energy. And everything can be broken down in the energy, right? So it can be never created nor destroyed, just transformed. So what we are is it's always been here. It's never going to not be here, right? Like there's never going to be a time when the energy that was here is not going to exist. Like think about that for a second. The thing that makes you you right now, there's never going to be a time when that did not exist in the past or will not exist in the future. That's what eternity means, right? And yet we are currently in this temporary form, right? We're currently having this temporary experience. And so having that viewpoint, um, I think it gives you a lot of security, right? It gives you a sense of of knowing that like, hey, no matter what, everything's okay. Um, and I think that enables you to kind of put your defenses down to kind of be okay with yourself and kind of be at peace. And then that self-love just kind of flows through that, right? Because we're in a space of, wow, like I'm, you know, everything's okay here. And I can feel that. I can feel that I'm, you know, no matter what happens in my world, I'm, I'm all right. So I think a lot of that does come down to identity and I, I'm glad you brought that up. What would you say in your, your experience, what that, that kind of means to you? Um, well, in terms of when I first started to find myself and my identity, there was a lot of trial and error. So it was just putting myself in loads of different situations or loads of different events or, Loads of different things that are happening in life. Just put myself in different boxes. Like go to one spiritual event, go to the gym, go to a mastermind, go to whatever it is. Mm. Just try so many different things, trial and error, mm. and farm myself along that process rather than sitting at home and just thinking who I am. More so of going mm. out there and trial and error. And then what I like and what I enjoy aligns with me. What I don't like and what I don't enjoy. I'm like, cool, that doesn't align on me. That doesn't feel like I feel I can be authentic there. I don't feel like I can be myself there. And then through that, yeah. I started to find myself 
um, by actually putting myself in environments where I felt like I was benefiting from. Dude, that makes sense. And that's a super practical way of doing it, right? And I think changing our environment, changing our habits, changing our, and just putting yourself, that's one of the things I do on my coaching program is I make people do something that they're uncomfortable with every week, right? Like, so so a lot of people, they get very stuck in their ways. They're stuck in there. I'm like, hey, do a meetup. And I don't care how awkward it is. Go do this meetup, whatever you're interested in, go do it. And that's honestly harder for some people than dieting, right? Because they don't want to put themselves, it's anxious. You know, everybody's got social anxiety nowadays. And it's just because, you know, we've been so uh, isolated for so long. So it's like, put yourself in a new situation, meet new people, and uh, you'll find out people don't bite your head off and and you don't die. You know, <laughs> I mean, most of the time, I guess it's possible. So <laughs> anything's possible. But no, yeah, put yourself in new situations, man. I love that. It's very, very practical and very true. How do you get yourself uncomfortable and how do you know, or how do you know how far to push yourself with it? Dude, that's a good question. And I think it's a never ending journey. And I would say, you know, really the last year, um, since I've been really kind of putting myself out there, doing my Instagram stuff, that's been huge for me because, um, originally I was always in the box of like caring what other people thought. And I still do, of course, on some level, like, I don't think anybody ever gets fully out of that unless they are completely enlightened. And, but, you know, I've realized that you can care what people think of you and try really hard to please everybody. And yet people will still dislike you regardless, right? People are still going to, because people don't view you how you are. They view you how they are, right? And here's an example. I was talking to my wife about this because we were talking about getting her to post more and, and get into that and stuff. And she's like, well, I don't want to be judged. I don't feel like I'm judged. I'm like, okay, so say you're in a pissed off mood one day and somebody walks across the, you know, in front of your car, right? And you see that person, you're like, this fucking asshole is walking in front of my car. Screw this guy. I hate this guy, right? What did that guy do? Literally nothing. And say that same day you won like $10,000 in some lottery and you're having an amazing day and you just got a promotion and, and, you know, your wife told you she loves you and blah, blah. And this guy walks in front of your car. You're like, I hope that guy has a blessed day. He's, he, he looks like a nice guy. Well, the same guy, same situation. What did this guy do? Absolutely nothing, right? So if you put yourself out there, you're going to get hate. You're going to get people who don't like you. You're going to get people who are sick of you. You're going to be at people who have negative thoughts towards you. But again, that's not based on you. That's based on what they're going through in their life, right? And then on the same end of the spectrum, you're going to have people who think you're a god or whatever, and they're going to say all these nice things. Well, you know, you don't let it get your head because at the end of the day, that's also not, not really you. That's just how they're viewing you. And I appreciate it because I think ultimately it's just a reflection of who they think they are. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if they're in a positive place, they're going to see you as a positive person. But every single one of my teachers, I remember when I first started listening to Tony Robbins, I was like, this guy is so douchey. Like, I just can't handle him. He's got his giant teeth. He's really like loud. He's, his voice is annoying. And now he's like my favorite guy in the world. Right. So I take that part, I take that and I go, you know, if Tony Robbins was concerned about how I looked at him and how I would think he was a douchebag, like, and he didn't put his message out there, where would the world be at? Because I care about, you know what I mean? Where would this world be at? This world would be so different without a guy like Tony Robbins. So one of the things my coach told me is he goes, if you're scared to get on camera, if you're scared to put yourself out there because of what other people think of you, then that means your ego is bigger than your message. And that hit me hard because that was me. That was me. I was, I was concerned about what people would say about me when I really spoke my mind, what people would think about me if I really put out my thoughts into the world. 
And at the end of the day, that's, that's a selfish way to look at it because if I could help somebody, if I could help them along their journey and make them a better person and maybe help them from like a suicide or help them from a drug addiction or help them, you know, just be a better version of themselves for their family. And they hate me, but the message gets through, then, then you're really becoming a true courageous person. You know, if you look at the, the warriors of the world, right? The people who would fight on the front lines, they would fight because they knew what they were fighting for was more important than their own life. Like, think about that for a second. And we are so stuck in our own heads that we won't tell our message because we're so scared of our ego getting bruised. Like that's, you know, these guys are willing to put on their life to fight for something. And you're scared about your ego getting bruised. You know, <laughs> like So it puts me in check to like, check myself a little bit and say, okay, this is about message. Who cares how people view me? You know, obviously I do care on some level, but again, like who cares, right? If they view me negatively, whatever, I'm still going to put out the message because the message is more important than my ego at the end of the day. How about yourself, man? I mean, you're so young to be doing this type of thing, talking about these deep subjects and stuff. I'm sure you got probably a lot of people saying like, why don't you just, Talk about, you know, Netflix and stuff, yeah. like a normal 20, whatever year old, you know? Yeah, because I'm 25 now and I started this work when I was 20. And at the start, wow. I had a lot of people um, going like, you're too young to speak about any of this. You're too long, too young to give any wisdom. You haven't lived a long enough life. And I always say to people, I was like, the life I lived up until the age of 20 felt like I've lived 50 years. Like with the amount of experience I've been through with drugs and everything that came with that life and anger and violence and whatnot. And I was like, by the time I got to 20, I felt like I was 60, 60 years old in terms of wisdom, in terms of experience in life. And I feel like that now. And at the start, there was a lot of fear around judgment of others, especially when I first started my mental health page back in 2018. I was very worried. worried and I was like, if I speak about mental health, are people going to judge me? But I realized that was a fear of myself and that insecurity I had with me and that ego as well. But then once mm. I started to realize, and there's a point you touched on before, is that what someone else deems as wrong or wrong information, that's just their perception of what their values deems as correct or incorrect. It doesn't mean what I'm saying no. is correct or incorrect. It's just it goes against their values. It goes against what knowledge they've acquired up to that point, or they might just have a different point of view. And I think a lot of things like culture and stuff come into play as well, depending on where people are in the world, especially on social media, because it's such a big reach. So once I realized that, I was like, any negative comment that comes my way, I can't attach myself to it to a point where I'm going to become critical of myself. I could probably use it to a point where I analyze myself and then be able to understand what I'm saying just to give myself more insight on me and my message. But if I internalize that and let it chew me up, then it's going to burn mm -hmm. me out. It's going to destroy me. It's going to set me back. And at the end of the day, other people's perceptions of right and wrong, it's in your perception of right and wrong. It's just we've all had different experiences and we've all got different values. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. That's so true. And it's so good to hear out loud because, you know, as much as sometimes I feel like I overcome it, there's other days when I don't and other days and you wake up or you get around certain people and you're like, uh, this person, I know they don't like me or whatever, you know, and it kind of does it. it. And part of that is is ingrained in our DNA, probably, right? Because mm -hmm. in order to survive, we had to get along with other people. We had to make sure our tribe was happy because if not, you would starve to death, you know? So a lot of that is is just us being able to survive as as human beings. And so 
it may not even be our fear. It may be our ancestors' fear from 10,000 years ago or whatever that they needed to get along with everybody. They needed to agree with everybody in order to survive. But now, one of the great things about being alive right now is you can literally survive on your own in a lot of ways. You know, we can, I mean, we can, we can live in a, a house with three people and, you know, I mean, we don't need these giant tribes. Now, on some level, that's not a good thing because we need the connection, whatever. But uh, we can find our tribe, especially with the internet. We can find other people who align with us. And that's what's so amazing about it is connecting with those type of individuals. And that's what's so amazing about the internet. You know, is it good or bad? Depends, right? It depends yeah. on how we use it. Is social media good or bad? Depends. You know, is, is is a brick good or bad? You could build a house with it or you can knock somebody in the back of the head with it, right? So it's all about the intention behind it. You know, money's another one, right? Everybody judges money as evil. Is it good or bad? It depends on how you use it, you know? So it's just, it's one of those things that, like you said, it's it's based on their value system and and that that you you don't really have any part of that, right? It's it's mm. everybody's own experience and everybody's own unique uh, vision from there. And like you said about the tribes in terms of fitting in as well, like maybe the fear of judgment because mm. we're afraid to be separated from the tribe. That just made me yeah. think maybe self-love is attached to our tribal instinct within us as well because growing mm. up for generations, we always have to care for other people because – we had to be a part of a community to survive. So a lot of our purpose was to provide into a community or to into a tribe to survive. And we probably didn't do enough things for ourselves for our generations growing up. And probably in the last few generations, there's some probably a new concept for human beings to be able to give that same energy back to ourselves. And I think we're in a cool transitional period where we are one of the generations figuring these things out so that we can give these teachings to the future generations. Absolutely. And that's something I hope my kiddo, he gets out of me is that, Hey, my dad went his own way. You know what I mean? Like my dad did not uh, fall into any category. He did not care what, you know, he didn't fall into any political system. He didn't fall into any, you know, system of this or that he did his own thing. And, and I want to follow suit because I think he's going to see those patterns and he's going to be able to, to hopefully assess that and, and do the same thing, you know, but and that's and that also brings up the point of like why breakups are probably so hard, right? Because a lot of that, when you separate from that person, a lot of that is probably ingrained in our DNA where we feel like kind of feels like you're dying, like, right? Like when you go through a really hard breakup, it's like, oh my God, my life is over. And that could just be our our history, our ancestry of feeling like you're kicked out of the tribe. You no longer have a support system, you no longer have you know, food to eat really, which obviously you do in a breakup. You can still go to your fridge and get food. You can still go to Walmart, you know, whatever, but it feels like that because of our history and it feels like the end of the world, you know? And so I think that uh, that's just a random thought I had, but it, it, kind of a tangent, but anyway, yeah, it's just, it's very, very ingrained in us. I feel I like how you touched on that, like relationship breakups. I feel like a lot of people, everyone's experienced it. Everyone struggles through it. And like you said, there is a part of our DNA and genetics to have that um grief that comes with it too because when we mm. lose someone in a relationship like we break up or get divorced at the end of the day it's grief and mm -hmm. the thing with grief like if someone passes away unfortunately we're able to get to a point of acceptance that we may not see that person but if we lose mm. someone in a relationship it can be a bit tricky because we know that person we can still see them we can still access mm -hmm. them so that acceptance piece is a bit more tricky than we see them with another person so it's been able to work through grief and treat the same as any type of grief but also it's that 
tricky thing of trying to find acceptance with it as well. I don't know. That just came to my mind in the moment. Yeah. I felt like to share it. No, it is. And I, I would say in some ways getting through a breakup, especially a harsh one where you're the one being broken up with, it it was harder in some ways than than having a close family member die, right? And it's and I guess harder is maybe not the right word because it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say the emotional negativity and intensity of being broken up with on some levels was was harder. And I think a lot of that is just like you said that you know the person's out there, and especially if you're like, oh, she's out there with some other dude or whatever, you know what I mean? And we're we're going through all these scenarios, and she's having a blast, and I'm I'm stuck here, and you know, and it's it's rough, you know. Whereas with the grief of somebody passing, at least for me, I have a very, you know, spiritual perspective. I'm like, okay, they're in a better place. Like I will see them again. So the grief there is obviously there. Like you, you miss not being able to see them in person and talk to them or whatever. I, obviously we can talk to them spiritually or whatever, but you know, in person, it's a little different. So it, it, you miss that, you know, and that's hard. And I think maybe that's longer lasting, but I would say the intensity of a breakup was almost harder in certain ways. So yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Mm. And what were some of the things that, helped you through grief in your own journey man i would say just self-development right and self-love right because that's that's what we're that's the only thing that i i've every breakup i've ever had i've put on like 10 pounds of muscle you know it's like that's been always my my go-to because that's something that is proving to myself that i love myself even though i don't feel like it i feel like a piece of crap hey i just went to the gym and i did my thing and and I ate right and okay, whatever. Right. Like, and, and then with the passing of my sister, I think the biggest thing with that was the spiritual perspective. So, you know, you're going to grieve, you're going to cry, you're going to miss that person. That's just part of life. Like that's, you're going to go through the process, but there's a difference between grief, hopeless grief and spiritual grief, right? Mm-hmm. Because hopeless grief is, I'm never going to see that person again. They're gone forever. And, and, oh, their life is, you know, I'll never connect with them again. And and it's over. And you just have this like very fatalistic, nihilistic, um, materialistic viewpoint of who they are, of what you are. And that's no way to live. And it's not, it's not based in reality. Cause like we said, the law of thermodynamics is energy is never created nor destroyed, only transformed. Right. So it's not even scientific to think like that. And that's the hopeless grief. The type of grief that I experienced was a spiritual grief. Well, yeah, I miss that person. I know I can't speak to them. I know I can't see them physically in this world anymore. Yet, I do know eventually I will see them again. And I do know that they're still here spiritually. And I do know that if I really want to connect with them, that love still exists. You know, the love never fades. And so that love is still there. I can still access that love. I can still feel that love. So I think that has really helped me through that process of having that spiritual perspective and knowing that, um, you know, there is life after after this for sure. I mean, it's just, yeah, there's, there's a, that's a whole rabbit hole we can go down. On, but, you know, we'll say that for another time. But there's definitely that. Mm, I love just to give like a little extension of that as well, because I love how you touched like on each side of the grief role of relationships with someone passing, how one you processed externally, one was internally, even the externally one was probably had some internal work for it as well, like going to the gym and gaining muscle. Because that related mm-hmm. to me, like my last relationship that I broke, that um, I separated from, I went to the gym. Like I, at that time, it became the best looking I've ever become in my life. Like just by physically looking, and it felt great to be using that energy and put it somewhere that's going to benefit me. 
But then when I had grief of losing family members, like my nan and granddad, I was super close with them. And I used to hold mm. this guilt that they never get, they never got to saw the person I am today. The version of me that they saw in this, let's just say, um, like in life realm was a version of me that was just overcoming or just at the end of my drug stage, very depressed and suicidal. And I always mm. regretted that they never get to saw the person I was now. And then I went to this like uh, meditation retreat and through that experience, I went to this meditation. It was a very deep, like two hour session. And I remember everything just went bright white and I just saw them like hover down to me. I mean, then grabbed my wow. left hand, my granddad grabbed my right hand. They didn't say a word to me. They just held like each one of them held each one of my hands. And it felt like wow. they were just giving, filling me up with energy of love and saying how much they are proud of me, but they didn't say a word, but it felt like I was in that experience for hours. But then after that, I was just like, wow, like it's powerful, the whole spiritual realm and how we can connect to that Dude. side. And yeah, it's powerful. So real, man, that gives me goosebumps. And that is so real. That is, uh, I mean, one of the things that I we did in, in Colorado was we started what is the longest running near-death experience group in Denver. Mm-hmm. And what near-death experiences are, are people who have crossed over, tell their story and come back, you know, to explain what it was like. And so we've had literally, really hundreds of speakers throughout the years at this, this group. Um, I don't actively participate in it and as much because it's just came too much with my life, but it's still going. We just had a, a meeting last week and somebody went and talked about their near death experience. And you hear the same story like that. Like you said, the love, the light, um, you know, they, they see their, their relatives and stuff like that. When you hear that over and over and over again, you know, if you heard it one time from some random dude, you may question it, but when you hear it from thousands and literally millions of people who have had this type of experience start to believe it a little bit more. And so, you know, what you experience there in that story uh, is very alignment with, with, with what those people have said as well. So that's powerful. That gives me goosebumps. That was a really good story there. Mm. Um, I'd like to ask another question for you, man, especially being a father as well. Like how do you model self-love for your Mm -hmm. kid? Well, you can't fake it. Right. And that's, that was my biggest, I think, fear of becoming a father was like, man, this kid's going to look at all my crap because as much as like, I understand these things intellectually and and I try to put them into practice and I do have a very strong practice and a very strong uh, discipline in my life. There are areas where I fall short. And I think those areas are probably going to be the areas that he finds, right? He's going to figure those things out and he's going to see those and he's going to be like, yeah, but what about this dad? You know what I mean? So for me, and, and we, I did the same thing to my dad, right? Like I know his faults, right? I know him like the back of my hand, but like, you know, he was also a great dad in a lot of other ways. So, but I think for me, it's, it's trying to work on those actively. And so, you know, you just can't fake it. You got to live it and you got to live it every day because you know, as I model self-love, it's going to be because I have authentic self-love. It's not going to be because I, you know, pretend to have it, right? It's going to come out one way or the other. So I think just continuing to follow my passion, continuing to follow self-care, putting my health first, you know, putting my psychological, mental, physical health first, you know, beyond anything. And that's even beyond family. And that's hard for some people to grasp, but you have to, because if you're not there for yourself, how are you going to be there for anybody else? And so if I'm really living that, I think he's going to see that and model that hopefully. So, mm, And how cool is that? Like you said, you might find your work in the future. And how cool is that? Like our sons one day yeah. checking out Spotify or YouTube and then come to find oh, this podcast. Be, yeah. That'll be epic. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> freaking cool. So cool, man. Love it. 
Is there um, anything you'd like? Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to tell you my uh, phone's almost dying, so this might be a perfect. <laughs> I uh, was yeah. like, oh, die in the middle of podcast. I was literally just about to say as well. It's like, do you want to? Is there anything you want to finish on, or do you have anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up? Dude, this is powerful and amazing. Like, like always, dude, it's the melding of minds, man. I tell you what, like you bring out the best of me. So keep it up. This has always been my favorite. The last one we did was my favorite. Now this one's my favorite. It's Cause I think you, you understand, um, and I've done, you know, a dozen podcasts by now. So it's, but I think the level that we can relate on with the spirituality and the, the, um, integration into life and living a fulfilled life as well. Like still having the cars, if you like them, still having the houses, still having the experiences, still having the, the fun things in life. Uh, and still having aspirations and goals and fitness and all these great things that we're into, uh, and yet still having a deep spiritual perspective and inquisitiveness on that level um, is very profound and very powerful. So I love that. And, you know, I think that's, if there's anything I would like to leave people is like, you know, try to seek that, you know, because in order to find, you got to seek initially. So, you know, it's all part of the seeking process. And it once you start, stop seeking, then you kind of you kind of become stagnant. So it's always seeking. I'm always seeking. I'm always looking for more, more ways of growing, more ways of becoming more. And, and, you know, always trying to bring out the best version of myself because who knows 10 years from now, I'll, I'll probably laugh at this version because I'll be at such a different level. And so always trying to push that envelope to the next level. Mm, that's epic brother thank you for sharing and thank you for that as well and also just want to say like yeah you bring up the best of me as well i love our chats i love our conversations and i love to link up and do an episode three of us two together as well in the future and then maybe one day i'll come to colorado and do one face to face tell you what you got a place to stay man you got a place to stay let us know cheers brother and um i'll link everything for joe in the bio for this episode so check out the work he can do and um yeah thank you for coming on man Dude, much love, brother. Appreciate you, man. Much love. Cheers.